2: Welcome to today's podcast, sponsored by Hillsdale College. All things Hillsdale at hillsdale.edu. I encourage you to take advantage of the many free online courses there. And of course, to listen to the Hillsdale Dialogues, all of them at Hugh for hillsdale.com, or just Google Apple, iTunes, and Hillsdale. I'm Hugh Hewitt, live. I want to talk to you this morning about the key thing to recall about American policy vis-a-vis Israel during Israel's war in Gaza and possibly on the northern border. We cannot ever underestimate, ever underestimate the ability of President Biden and his team to get every single decision every day wrong. We we kind of assume that presidents don't get more than half of things wrong. But we got to remember Robert Gates, the former sec deaf, saying Joe Biden has been wrong on every mer- major foreign policy crisis of the past 40 years. And he said that 10 years ago, so it's 50 years now. Yesterday was an extraordinary day. Uh, The National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan, was dispatched in the relay race of continual interference with Israel to the War Cabinet. And, you know, Lloyd Austin has been, and Tony Blinken has been, of course, President Biden went the week after the massacre, and that was good. And since that time, mixed message, mixed message, mixed message to Israel. Yesterday, Jake Sullivan told the War Cabinet and Everybody else went in earshot that Israel had to dial it back within three weeks. He said it a lot of different ways. The defense minister of Israel leaked out that he simply told Mr. Sullivan the war will go on for months and months. Well, overnight, then Joe Biden took to the stage. After Jake Sullivan stepped in it repeatedly yesterday in Israel, President Biden took to the stage and said this, cut number one.
3: Do you want Israel to scale back its assault on Gaza in, by the end of the year? Do you want them to tone it down, move to a lower intensity phase?
4: I want them to be focused on how to save civilian lives. Not stop
2: going after Hamas,
5: but be more careful.
2: Be more careful. Now, what the reporter did was to take Jake Sullivan's quotes and give them back to the president. And he doesn't know what Jake Sullivan had done. It appears to me like he doesn't have any idea what's being asked of him. So he wants everyone to be more careful. Overnight, the fury must have been so intense. Because there was a massacre in Israel. And Israel's existential threat is felt and understood throughout the land. And Israel is united on destroying Hamas and, if necessary, going to war in Hezbollah. Israel as... Is to 10-7 as we were to 9-11 two months after 9-11. And we were not over 9-11. We're still not over 9-11. And Israel is going to be a long time figuring out how to reestablish deterrence. They do not need Jake Sullivan or Joe Biden to tell them what they need to do. Their young men are are and their young women are dying in Gaza. The uh, member of the War Cabinet Observer has lost his son and his nephew in Gaza. They are very aware of how intense Gaza, they are running a good war. Now, I understand Joe Biden doesn't like Benjamin Netanyahu. Yesterday, a Democrat on the Hill, Steve Cohen, who doesn't like Netanyahu at all, compared Netanyahu to Putin, which is extraordinarily bad, bad idea to do because it's simply not true. But the president said that, and Jake Sullivan, his national security advisor, made his ridiculous demands and then clarified them, and then leaked what he said, and Gallant leaked what he said. And this morning, just minutes ago, Jake Sullivan took to the press room in Israel and said this, cut number 21.
0: First, I really appreciate the question on the the phases of the conflict, because I think there's been some misunderstanding in in the reporting, not from you, but but from others. Um, When Israel launched this campaign to root out the terrorist threat that Hamas poses to the state of Israel, Uh, It made clear from the beginning that this war would proceed in phases. We are now in the middle of a high-intensity phase with ongoing ground operations, military operations, in both the northern half and the southern half of Gaza. But um, there will be a transition to another phase of this war, one that is focused uh, in more precise ways on targeting the leadership and uh, on intelligence-driven operations that continues to deal with the, the ongoing threat that Hamas poses. The conditions and the timing for that was obviously a subject of conversation that I um, had with Prime Minister Netanyahu, with the War Cabinet, uh, with the leadership of the IDF, with the defense minister. And I think it's really important that those conversations take place first in a spirit of partnership. We're not here to tell anybody you must do X, you must do Y. We're here to say this is our perspective as your partner, as your friend. This is what we believe is the best way to achieve both your tactical and strategic goals. And then second, it has to take place in private because we can't telegraph for the enemy what the plan is. So I'm not going to speak to timelines, and I'm not going to speak to conditions here from the podium. What I am going to say is that we had a very constructive conversation yesterday about the transition from the high intensity phase forward. And we expect that that will occur in the future when exactly that happens and under exactly what conditions will be a continuing intensive discussion between the United States and Israel. And I will make sure that that conversation, at least as far as I can do it, is uh, going to take place behind closed doors.
2: Yesterday, the New York Times had a leak to it that Jake Sullivan said, you have three more weeks. That's what the New York Times reported midday yesterday. I think the phones blew up at the White House. I believe friends of Israel said to the White House, what are you doing? What are you actually telling Israel how to run its war after a massacre? It's worst murder of Jews since the Holocaust in one day. Are you really telling them they have three weeks left? And somebody got it to Jake Sullivan that maybe he ought to walk out of the room uh, and and leave it alone because he's not in charge. Joe Biden's not in charge. Israel's in charge of Israel's security. More from Jake Sullivan this morning, literally minutes ago from Israel Cut Number Twenty Two.
0: First, um, as I said. Uh, in a TV interview last night, what I heard Minister Gallant to say was that the fight against Hamas is going to take months. And of course, we agree with that. This fight against Hamas, a deeply intent, entrenched terrorist group in Gaza, is going to take time and it's going to happen in phases. And we've said that from the beginning. And so there's no contradiction between saying the fight is going to take months and also saying that, um, Different phases will take place at different times over those months, including the transition from the high-intensity operations to more targeted operations. We had a very good discussion about how that transition will occur and under what conditions and on what timeline. And we will continue that conversation. Secretary Austin will be here soon to continue it in detail. And again, I'm not going to get into the specifics of that for the reason that laying out Israel's war plan for the public is only going to help Hamas. And I don't intend to do that. But uh, I did not hear Minister Gallant or Prime Minister Netanyahu yesterday to say things that would lead me to feel I need to answer the hypothetical question of if then down the road. We will work together in partnership, in coordination, and we will continue to supply our ideas, our perspective on what makes the most sense for Israel, both strategically and tactically. And I would also add that from our perspective, distinguishing between innocent Palestinian people on the one hand and Hamas on the other hand is not just a moral question, though it is a moral question because innocent people's lives should be sacred and protected. It's also a strategic question for Israel. And
2: We're I- into college class speak, and I, I just cannot imagine what the Israeli war cabinet says when the door shuts and Jake Sullivan walks out. But let me tell you this. I have been communicating for a long time, long time. When somebody says what I heard Minister Gallant say, that means I'm about to tell you something Minister Gallant didn't say, but I wish he had said. That's what that means. And Jake Sullivan did that all day yesterday. Because Minister Gallant came out and told the Israeli press, nah, we're not done in three weeks. I told him it would go on months and months. The hard phase, the high-intensity phase. So Jake Sullivan's people planted in the New York Times. He got three weeks. He had, quote, intensive discussions. Uh, Gallant and Netanyahu, and no doubt Gantz said, get out of here. And they didn't say kid, but they might have said kid. They might have also thought to themselves, how many gunfights have you been in, Jake Sullivan, to tell us, really? Really, go back. At, you know, they're being very diplomatic. They, they want the aid. They've got lots of friends. They know they don't need the president on this. And <clears throat> they need to to keep Israel strong and very, very confident of American diplomatic support. The Iron Dome that the United States supplies is diplomatic support. They've got to keep vetoing that Security Council resolution. But I'll tell you what. If whoever is the Republican nominee, whether it's Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley or Chris Christie, Or, you know, the sweet meteor of death comes down, becomes a if the Republican nominee will simply go out every day between now and November and say, I'm going to stand with Israel every single day and we're going to be against terrorism every single day. And we're not going to repeat Afghanistan. We're not going to repeat the failed uh, deterrence in Ukraine. We're not going to go easy on Putin. We're going to take the CCP seriously. We're going to be realist about the world. Because the world is not as we want it to be in whatever is Joe Biden's imagined reality of the world. The world is as it is, and we will deal with it that way. Then the Republican will win on the landslide, because Americans don't like this at all. We cannot underestimate, absolutely cannot underestimate the capacity of Joe Biden to screw up every single decision. And he's remembering a world of the two-state solution that existed 30 years ago. It doesn't exist anymore. More coming up. Don't go anywhere, America. Uh, Israel will be fine. America's in trouble. Stay tuned.
6: Welcome back. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal
2: professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400.
6: Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400.
0: Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states.
2: America, I'm Hugh Hewitt. I do want to add to my opening monologue what... Defense Minister Gallant said on the record for everyone to hear yesterday in Israel after listening to the lecture from Jake Sullivan on how they had three weeks. According to the New York Times and the leak to the New York Times, Jake Sullivan said you had three weeks. And i that's all changed overnight because obviously Jake Sullivan in the White House heard from every single friend of Israel that has the back number and said, are you out of your mind? And they, they walked it back this morning. But here's what Defense Minister Gallant said yesterday, cut number
4: 12. So, thank you for being side by side with us in this, in this effort. Uh, the Hamas is a terror organization that built itself for a decade to fight Israel. And they build infrastructure under the ground and on the ground. And uh, it is not easy to destroy them. Uh, it will take and require a long period of time, it will last more than several months. But we will win, and we will destroy them. So thank you once again for coming to Israel, for helping us. All right, let me
2: translate that for you. Yeah, we heard exactly what you said. Jake Sullivan, go home, because this is going to take months. You have no idea what you're talking about. Go home. And then Jake Sullivan got mad and talked to reporters, gave a television interview, and emphasized their intensive discussions. Like, that's the new word around the White House, intensive. And then overnight, somebody called somebody and said, you know, we're losing a point a day in the polls by flipping Israel off. And they backed up. Meanwhile, blowback against academic America continues. Yesterday, Neil Ferguson, Stanford now, did the free, pe- free press podcast. I bought two things since this war began. I resubscribed to commentator commentary, and their podcast is worth it. And I subscribe for the first time to the free press by Barry Weiss because commentary and the free press are doing the best job in American media of covering the war. I do read the Times of Israel, the Jerusalem Post uh, and a couple of other English language, Israeli media outlets to get the real deal. And I listen to podcasts from Israel. But Neil Ferguson did the free press co- podcast yesterday and he talked about academia. Listen to this because he's talking about the German universities in the 30s and comparing Them to what is happening on American universities today. Cut number 18.
1: Now, the critical point here is that American universities, including Harvard, where I taught for 12 years, but not only Harvard, uh, have been politicized. A a generation of professors and academic administrators came to the conclusion that their mission was not to to educate the young how to think, but was rather to pursue a political agenda. And they defined it uh, in terms that sounded, at first, innocuous. Diversity, equity, inclusion. Who could be against against those things? Except that on close inspection, what those things amounted to was the imposition of an ideology ideology of hierarchy, Uh, a hierarchy that bizarrely descended downwards from the ultimate victims, African-Americans, ideally transgender African-Americans, down through the hierarchy to dead white males like the three good fellows, but not only dead <laughs> white males. It turned out that there were other people near the bottom of the hierarchy, and those people included Jews. I'm, I'm, uh, right, and, I'm uh, right there in the gutter with the old white men of the good fellows. you According with to his, right, that? Barry? Yeah, right in, there. With- in the hierarchy of intersectionality, Jews, and this also interestingly turned out to apply to East Asians who were too good at math, way too good at math, And all of these groups had to be subjected to systematic discrimination, which is what anti-racism really is. Anti-racism in true George Orwellian fashion is, in fact, racism. So this ideology, once it was embraced by academics like Claudine Gay, became, in my view, as dangerous as the National Socialism that was embraced by Heidegger the supposedly the greatest German philosopher of his generation. We need to get a generation of academics and academic administrators to look in the mirror and understand that they are engaged in precisely the same processes that led the great German universities down the path to hell, to complicity in the Holocaust. Now, it's really hard because they're in such deep denial about this that you, you, you're really going to have to shout it loud and you're going to have to shout it daily. But I'm determined to try to make at least some people realize that there is no longer a profound difference between Harvard in the 2020s and Marburg uh, in the 1920s. The path is very similar and it begins with, in my view, the ultimate sin, which is the politicization of higher education. Neil Ferguson,
2: bravo. The Free Press, bravo. I, I think you should subscribe today. Like Commentary. Commentary's running their fundraising drive, by the way. And boy, do they deserve some money and some support. They're not very good at raising money. Uh, they're they're, they're, they're not at telethons. I'm going to help them out and say, go over to commentary.org and send them some dollars. I'll be right back, America. Stay tuned. What an extraordinary morning. Stay with us. Joined now by Ben Dominich, editor-at-large at The Spectator, Fox News contributor extraordinaire. Good morning, Ben.
6: Good morning, Hugh. Good to be with you as always.
2: Uh, ben, let me, before I tell you what I think, I just want to put the premise out. The past two months, and especially the past two days, have revealed a lot of truths about a lot of people. Maybe the last two weeks as well, if we throw in the, the colleges. What do you make of what we're watching in real time following 10-7, and especially yesterday?
6: Well, look, I, I think that one of the things that we've seen <clears throat> coming out of this whole experience is that a lot of liberals, a lot of uh, people who uh, thought that they were sort of um, <clears throat> dealing with a, a minor trend, let's say, uh, against Israel within their ranks, they've been disabused of that notion. Uh, and they've been disabused of it in real time in ways that I think have made very clear that uh, there were a lot of fellow travelers in their midst, a lot of progressives that have been part of their coalition over the past several years who simply can't be trusted when it comes to uh, whether they're going to take the side of uh, American interests uh, at home and abroad or whether they're going to, you know, uh, frankly, turn against us in a very open way. Um, It's something that I think it's it's frankly sad to see. Uh, You know, you don't really want to see people kind of disabused of of all these notions that they may have had about, well, you know, we may believe, you know, slightly different things, but we're all Americans. We all, you know, sort of march to the same drum in the same, uh, in the same way. We all respect the flag, that kind of a thing. Uh, and we all, you know, have uh, a shared belief in our allies. Uh, and that's something that I just think has, has gone away. And it's been something that I think has been very rough for a lot of people within the, uh, the left coalition, particularly, obviously, uh, liberal Jews within that coalition.
2: Amen. Now, Ben, the second thing, though, that's the reality of the Democratic Party. I also think we have forgotten how wrong the Biden administration can be on everything. Uh, It's it's as though we trust them (laughs) to be correct on dealing with Israel, and we should not underestimate their ability to get every single decision wrong every single day. And yesterday, Jake Sullivan getting rebuked publicly by Gallant after they leaked to the New York Times Israel has is three more weeks then Jake Sullivan leaks uh, we had very intensive discussion Gallant comes out and slaps him around a little bit in public and says this is going to go on for months and months Yeah. yeah and then and I, Joe Biden says be more careful how incoherent is the White House
6: <laughs> well look I mean you know one of the things that's interesting about this White House and I, and I believe that this is something that uh, we really should take away from this experience with Joe Biden is we're dealing with someone who was in the Senate for such a long time that he still operates in a lot of ways as if he is just a Senator on the foreign relations committee, you know, as, as if he is someone who is, you know, n- not kind of in charge of things in the same way that he is uh, on a day-to-day basis, or is at least supposed to be in a yeah, good observation. Job.
2: And, that, and the only, wor- the only thing worse than that is being vice president.
6: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, warm bucket of spit and all yep. that, but I think, I think it's one of those things where, you know, you have the ability in a Senate office to have kind of disagreements with other senators, to speak out of turn a little bit, to you know have interaction with with the press that go you know one way or the other. But it's it's not the same thing as being the commander in chief. And I think that in his current job, we have never seen that commander in chief role as being one that he actually embraced, adopted, and demanded from the different people who actually work for him and who need to sound the same notes and not speak out of turn in these ways.
2: Uh, ben, do you listen to the commentary podcast?
6: I, I do occasionally. I have to I have to be honest with you. I listen almost entirely to sports and comedy podcasts. It's like my escape. Um, but I do occasionally listen to it.
2: Yeah, in the morning, I listen to podcast. Times of Israel and commentary, and then I go to Browns and, and uh, Cavaliers and uh, Guardians <laughs> talk. So I'm like you. But yesterday, John Podhort said on commentary, there is no two state solution and i'm paraphrasing here people can listen to it for themselves and everyone who knows anything about anything understands there is no two state solution in the foreseeable future much needed dose of reality what do you think of that
6: well i agree with john and i think that he's very smart when it comes to these issues and i think that you know <laughs> there's this this whole experience has only made clear that that's not something that we can go down and and it's it's removed you know, frankly, I mean, uh, you know, Walter Russell Mead has made uh, the point in the, in the pages of the Wall Street Journal that the actual ramifications of 10-7 is the strengthening of Israel's hand. Uh, and frankly, the removal of this isn't even a possibility uh, in the near future. But I think that one of the things that we are going to see going forward is there's going to be more and more demands, I think, from the American people to have clarity when it comes to foreign policy issues before you get into the presidency and that's something that i think you know was it's so incredible to think back you know we we it's often cited you know that in 2000 we never had a conversation about iraq and afghanistan uh, you know in this past election we never had a foreign policy debate because of the whole Michigas with that cspan debater uh, uh I'm sorry uh, uh moderator who you know had the, the audacity to uh, you know reach out publicly to, uh, to um, Anthony Scaramucci on Twitter, and then lied about it. So that whole like thing that happened there, you know, meant that we never had a foreign policy debate, and we never had a lot of these questions answered. Frankly, I think that we have we have gotten into this presidency now by accident. Almost, it was people revolting against. What they hated about the Trump presidency, and now they have lived through three years of this experience, and they have seen all the downsides of putting someone as incompetent and wrong as Joe Biden in this position. We've seen the the consequences of putting all the people around him in this in these positions, uh, and you know, frankly, it's it's something that I think Americans just don't like. If if Joe, if Joe Biden wanted his poll numbers to go up, he would have fired every single person in the administration who showed up to protest in front of the White House the other night. You would have yes. fired them, and that's a, that's the kind of thing that I think Americans can unite around. And it's it's just you know it's it's a rump part of the progressive coalition that they needed to deal with a long time ago. They haven't, and now we're living through the experience of having them be. Uh, you know, it, even if they're a small number, with a huge they have a huge megaphone, and they are very prominent within the coalition.
2: Now, now Ben, I I don't want to make too much out of the White House Christmas video uh, because. It's just stupid, but it comes out at a serious time. And I'm wondering, do you think anybody in the White House ever talks to anybody outside of the Beltway about anything?
6: Well, I mean, it's just uh, it's just incredibly tone deaf, but it's also kind of an indication of, of like, you know, they're in such a bubble. They've been protected by the media for so long. They're so used to basically having every decision that they make justified by their allies in the media that they can do something this silly and stupid and uh, just to kind of get away with it or assume that they're going to get away with it because they don't have anybody in the room who's saying, hey, guys, I don't think that this is the best timing. I don't think that this is the best idea. And also just, uh, you know, looking back you, it's like, you know, the media flipped out when Melania had red trees, you know, it's <laughs> like <laughs> okay. it's, it's,
2: that leads me to this really <laughs> standard. Have you read the Economist story when the New York Times lost its way yet? It's seventy-three pages.
6: So, it's- so, so yes, Hugh. I <laughs> I, I, uh, I lit a candle. I, I put on. I, I lit some incense. I sat down. I, I centered myself, and I read all of it. Um, I, I will say, uh, and I actually uh, uh, had a, a good interaction the other day with James Bennett about it. Um, I knew James during, uh, you know, or or had been. He was kind of my interlocutor whenever I would. I would Right for the times, I would reach out to him, and I just did so on like a half dozen occasions during his tenure. And uh, it is—I mean, it, it is one of the most damning things I think you can read. And, I, and I've said to people, you know, I know it's a—it's a slog, but
2: oh my gosh, you need to read this. James you know? Bennett is the former opinion page editor of the New Sorry, York Times yeah, should, who quit after clear. Senator Cotton published a a hard-hitting op-ed, which one would have expected in the paper of record, but became an, uh, the occasion of revolt revolution. And deterioration in the times' quality, and this this opus, this book, is is a, a slam at the Salzburger. It's what? How do you
5: describe it, uh, Ben? Well, I,
6: I think I think it is it is kind of a documentary of a place losing its mind. Um, and I think that you know, in in Bennett's case, you know, the fact that he was willing to put all this down in a very personal way, and also to kind of detail his own journalistic experience and how much you know, he sort of went through to get to this point in his career, and then to learn that he was, there's this this fantastic little bit where he says, you know, I felt like I was arguing against people who, you know, were the, the Japanese soldiers, uh, you know, who were hiding out on an island that didn't know that, you know, the war had, had been over for years. And then I realized that I was that soldier. Um, I was fighting for these old values of uh, let's call it liberalism. Well, you
2: know, let's within. call it the two-state solution, which doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> it, it is it. When we come back, I'm going to talk with um, uh, Ben about what I raised with Sunny uh, last hour, which is the reality that isn't real that people are operating with, whether it comes from Fauda or from other Netflix shows or just from the Beltway. The Republican presidential candidate who embraces realism, I think Ben just referred to it, just goes with realism. This is the world as it is, not as we want to pretend it to be. We'll win in a walk in November. I don't care if it's Trump or Haley or DeSantis or Christie. They will win in a walk if they just repeat after me, we will stand by Israel. The world is a tough and dangerous place. Stay tuned, America.
3: Do you want Israel to scale back into Salta on Gaza in by the end of the year? Do you want them to tone it down, move to a lower intensity phase?
4: I want them to be focused on how to save civilian lives, not stop going after Hamas, but be more careful.
2: Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. That was President Biden yesterday, shortly after that and after Jake Sullivan's uh um, On and off the record comments in Israel yesterday, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, also former director of the CIA, posted on Twitter X, nothing about what Israel has done has been indiscriminate. President Biden is simply wrong, and his comments are music to the ears of Hamas. I'm joined by Ben Dominic, editor-at-large of The Spectator, Fox News contributor. Ben, I agree with Secretary Pompeo. And before we went to break, I made this statement. I just want to test it on you. Mm -hmm. Whoever is the Republican nominee, if they run on clarity about evil in the world, just just clarity, there, there are very bad people in the world, and we have to take it seriously, they will win in a walk. What do you think?
6: Well, the only reason I'll say that they won't win in a walk is that I I do think that there's so many Americans, uh, you know, here at home who are going to be uh, activated on a number of different domestic policy fears uh, that I think it's going to be a very competitive, very close race. But I do think that you know, with the clarity on foreign policy, uh, offering that to the people will do a lot to, I think, remove any advantage, any remaining trust, uh, you know, and I don't know who would trust him at this point, uh, from the Biden side of the ledger on the foreign policy issue. When he ran, you know, in twenty. A lot of the, the you know, uh, media was able to make the claim that he represented a return to, you know, quote unquote, stability or normalcy in the world. You know, that he would uh, represent somebody who you know, wouldn't be uh, engaged in like uh, Twitter fights or something like that, that people were worried was going to lead to nuclear war, which is actually something that happened under Trump, believe it or not. Um, you know, and, and I think that that's something that they could claim back then and they can't claim anymore because we've seen what the Biden foreign policy is like. It's, it is completely incoherent. Uh, it doesn't actually, in actuality, support our allies. Uh, it doesn't meet our commitments around the world. Uh, and it's uh, you know, kind of spastic. And like I said before in the last segment, it's something that I think is, is much more in keeping with a, a senator shooting from the hip uh, than a commander-in-chief who has a clear idea of what he wants to achieve. And, and in the meantime, is very important,
2: the border is completely out of control. And I just assume... This is just Hugh Hewitt here. I don't know any. I haven't had a security clearance since 1989. I just assume the Iranians and the Chinese are pretty good at, at espionage and that they notice our border is open, Ben. Do, do well, you agree yeah, with me not, on that? Not, because there's a story only, about a Russian yeah. today in the Wall Street Journal working out of West Germany, stealing two billion and funding Russian ops until he escaped into Russia. They're pretty good at this.
6: They are they are pretty good at this. And look, this is the thing that I think that people don't pay attention to when it comes to the border. We we talk a lot about the people who come over, the migrants who actually go through the system, get kicked out of it, you know, get handed off to NGOs, end up, you know, in New York and that kind of thing. Uh, this is that's the that's the process uh, being broken and everything else related to that. What we don't talk about as much is the fact that we are about to pass. We are on the cusp of passing. Two million gotaways, known gotaways under Joe Biden since uh, he took office in 2021, which is not only you know, a historically unprecedented number, but just think about what those two million people who we don't know that much about contain. Those are the people who don't want to go through the system. They don't want to get a court date. They don't want to have any kind of interaction with NGOs. They want to be able to come over here and not have any kind of governmental record of who they are or where they came from. Those are the people that we have to worry about, okay? Those are the people we have to worry about, Hugh, and there are going to be consequences for the fact that they are here because there are going to be people in that in that bunch that wish America true harm who are going to act at some point, and I don't have any kind of confidence in our government, uh, you know, in our law enforcement resources, in the FBI, to be able to be prepared to track all of them, know who they are, and be prepared when they eventually decide to do something. That All
2: right, prepared. so, Ben, yesterday uh – police and authorities in Germany, Denmark, and the Netherlands uh, arrested a whole bunch of Hamas terrorists who were planning massive attacks in Europe. And I think every day that the FBI spends on anything except counterterrorism is kind of a wasted day. I know they've got to do organized crime.
6: You you, you don't think that those pro-life protesters are something that we have to worry about? Yeah, You know, and and the Catholic Church. I I just don't. (laughs) And
2: I think Jack Smith is the same thing. They're all taking their eye off the ball. But do you think do you think that that understanding is settled on the Democratic Party that at least it's a political problem and they've got to make changes at the border?
6: You know, I, I think that this uh, I, I don't know if you saw this reed Hoffman funded mega donor on the Democratic side uh, in a poll that looked at this, but it was making the point uh, this week that if you if if Joe Biden tomorrow basically embraced the entire slate of Republican policies on the border, his numbers would go up. Yes, because more voters favor that policy uh, than are on his side on this issue. I think this is, again, this is the, the loudest portion of his coalition, the progressives in, in his party, you know, having an outsized role in determining where policy go, goes. If he would simply to, to, to embrace these center right, you know, not even conservative, I would say just center right. Uh, you know policies on the border, then it's something that actually would benefit him. It would benefit his party, uh, and it would benefit uh, the American people because we would have a border that was more secure. But he's not doing it only because they're worried about those. You know that that progressive vote in Michigan that everybody's wor- wor- warning about. That he's worried is going to deny him a second term.
2: I, I really, I, I don't understand what they're doing. I listen as I mentioned it. The commentary podcast is daily, daily. Simply befuddled by the politics of this white house, and it's they're just underestimating the incompetent level that can this this group of people can reach Ben Dominich thank you i'll be right back, America.
0: you
2: Welcome back america i 'm Hugh Hewitt. hope you 're enjoying a little Christmas music from us. I want to go back to what I talked about with Ben and maybe and and perhaps you'll listen to the podcast. I did here, if you missed my conversation with Sonny Bunch. We'll put it at the end of Highly Concentrated Hue because it, it is about reality being distorted by media. And the reality of the Biden administration is, I mean, this is just the reality. They're not any good at this. They're bad at this. What is this? Everything. Just literally everything. I, I think that Most people who look back at the Trump years have got to at least admit, at least admit, well, you know, moving the embassy to Jerusalem was a good idea. And the Abraham Accords were great accomplishments. And oh, by the way, Operation Warp Speed worked. So will anybody tell me anything that has gone right in the last three years with President Biden in charge? Because I don't think anything has. I think Afghanistan the failure to deter Putin from a second invasion of Ukraine following his first one under President Obama, and now putting pressure on Israel to be done in three weeks and then walking it back and telling them to be more careful in an existential war with the people that murdered 1,200 Israelis and have killed 105 IDF soldiers and counting. I'm just sort of stunned at the level of incompetence. It's not, it shouldn't surprise me. Bob Gates said Joe Biden has been wrong about everything for 40 years. Now it's 50 years and he's still wrong about everything. And I should not be surprised. But I I had hopes for some people in this administration, among them, Jake Sullivan, because National Security Advisor O'Brien told me he's a serious guy, but he's seriously wrong yesterday. And I, I, I've got to play for you the press conference this morning. Again, if you listen to the beginning of the show, and we're going to go to cut number 21. This is Jake Sullivan
0: hours ago, hours ago, walking back everything he said yesterday. Go ahead. play. First, I really appreciate the question on the, the phases of the conflict, because I think there's been some misunderstanding in, in the reporting, not from you, but, but from others. Um, when Israel launched this campaign to root out the terrorist threat that Hamas poses to the state of Israel... Uh, It made clear from the beginning that this war would proceed in phases. We are now in the middle of a high-intensity phase with ongoing ground operations, military operations, in both the northern half and the southern half of Gaza. But um, there will be a transition to another phase of this war, one that is focused uh, in more precise ways on targeting the leadership and uh, on intelligence-driven operations that continues to deal with the, the ongoing threat that Hamas poses The conditions and the timing for that was obviously a subject of conversation that I um, had with Prime Minister Netanyahu, with the War Cabinet, uh, with the leadership of the IDF, with the defense minister. And I think it's really important that those conversations take place first in a spirit of partnership. We're not here to tell anybody you must do X, you must do Y. We're here to say this is our perspective as your partner, as your friend. This is what we believe is the best way to achieve both your tactical and strategic goals. And then second, it has to take place in private because we can't telegraph for the enemy what the plan is. So I'm not going to speak to timelines and I'm not going to speak to conditions here from the podium. What I am going to say is that we had a very constructive conversation yesterday about the transition from the high intensity phase forward. And we expect that that will occur in the future when exactly that happens and under exact exactly what conditions will be a continuing intensive discussion between the United States and Israel. And I will make sure that that conversation, at least as far as I can do it uh, is going to stay is going to take place behind doors. let me translate this for you
2: forget everything i said yesterday and leaked to you yesterday off the record forget all of that you new york times people that said i was going here to present you've got three weeks left we're taking that all back and president biden being more careful that doesn't matter anymore now i'm going to play you the second clip of the great walk back by jake sullivan this morning listen for the
0: phrase what i heard defense secretary Gallant say okay cut number 22 First, um, as I said uh, in a TV interview last night, what I heard Minister Gallant to say was that the fight against Tomas is going to take months. And, of course, we agree with that. This fight against Stop right there. When anybody says what I heard, Defense Minister
2: Gallant say, it's good to go to the tape. Let's go to the tape. This is like the best commercial on TV when they go to the tape and, and we watch replay and the Browns always get screwed until this year. Let's go to the tape. Here's what. Minister Gallant actually said yesterday, "Cut number 12.
4: So, thank you for being side by side with us in this in this effort. Uh, the Hamas is a terror organization that built itself for a decade to fight Israel, and they build infrastructure under the ground and on the ground, and uh, it is not easy to destroy them. Uh, it will take and require. A long period of time, it will last more than several months, but we will win and we will destroy them. So thank you once again for coming. Did
2: you catch that? That's what he actually said. It's going to be months and months and months and we will destroy them. Go home. He didn't say the go home part. But overnight, obviously, the the roof fell in on Team Biden of folks who kind of like Israel, like 90 percent of America likes Israel, they are a democratic ally, they are the land-based aircraft carrier of the West in the toughest neighborhood, and they've got friends now. United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, uh, Saudis are getting close, and they realize that the bad guys in the world are named China, Iran, and Russia. And China is the brains of the outfit. Iran supplies the fanatics, and Russia provides the street corner thugs. And although the Wall Street Journal story today suggests that the uh, old KGB is still alive and working. And Carla, if you know what that reference is, uh, you know what, then you read um, John le Carré in the, in the 70s. Carla has suited up again for the Russian uh, FSB, and they pulled off a big one. It's in the Wall Street Journal today uh, with a European money guy that just basically funded Russian ops forever for the last many years. Uh, the The journal story is so maddening because we... What, is, what are we doing watching Catholics at Latin Mass in the United States instead of trying to crack? Why don't we expand the counterterrorism department of the FBI by every person involved in stupid stuff at the FBI? So we're moving you because you can't, maybe you can make it worse. Maybe because of the rules governing federal employment, the FBI can't unload people the way that they need to unload people. Right. They they just move them off and those people go off and do incredibly dumb things. But that's an opportunity cost of not going after the bad guys. And the world is waking up in real time to the reality of just how evil the world is. And I don't know how many lessons more we need after ten seven. Uh But that the folks in Israel are being very polite to Jake Sullivan and to Anthony Blinken and to Lloyd Austin and the carousel goes around and Team Biden sends over someone once a week to try and tell Israel what to do to save Israel lives. And once a week, Israelis say, thank you very much for your meeting and your partnership. We appreciate it. And then they do what they're going to do because their lives are on the line. And they now know that after 10-7. I, I just don't think we can ever underestimate how wrong this administration is. Come right back, America. Sarah Bedford is going to update us on the immigration negotiation, which I hope crater and fall to earth, because this is bad to do on a short timeline.
4: Thank
2: you. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Sarah Bedford is with the Washington Examiner. She joins me now. Good morning, Sarah. How are you?
3: Good morning. Thanks for having me.
2: Great to have you, as always. Sarah, I have read this morning's news that there is a, quote, immigration deal imminent between Senate Democrats, the White House, and Senate Republicans. I've been doing this show for 23 years, and we've had four or five big immigration deals come out of the Senate GOP, each one of which cratered as soon as it was unveiled because they never got outside of the Beltway. Do you think they're going to avoid that this time?
3: No, it does not appear so. And I think... The big reason is that the parole powers that the Biden administration has been using to allow hundreds of thousands of people into the country without having to follow any of the regular uh, you know, asylum processes, which are already being abused to let people in. That seems to be something that the Biden administration doesn't want senators to touch. So you can throw money at the problem. You can put all these rules on paper about tightening the asylum process. But if you're going to leave Joe Biden's uh, parole powers intact, then it is sort of a toothless deal. And that's why I think there's a lot of conservatives that are skeptical that James Langford and the other Senate negotiators are going to produce anything meaningful.
2: Well, I, I trust Senator Lankford, but a momentum develops inside the Beltway where they don't actually talk to people. And I actually read these rules. Like John Kyle was on one of these deals. Marco Rubio was on one of these deals. These are smart people like Jim Lankford and Tom Tillis, but they never ask anybody. And then they get run over and they, they look around like Wiley e. Coyote wondering what happened to me.
3: Right. I mean, the the reality is that, you know, you have a president who's not really interested in stopping the flow of migrants coming over the southern border and isn't really going to concede anything that will will have a meaningful impact, really. And you have a House also that is really skeptical of the aid to Ukraine, doesn't want to have to vote for aid to Ukraine, is possibly even rooting for this deal not to materialize. And Mike Johnson has sent all of the House lawmakers home for Christmas, not interested in waiting around for this bill, because I think there's just really not an appetite among House Republicans uh, to, to pass some watered down immigration deal and Ukraine funding of any kind.
2: Now, Sarah, I want to get an update on Hunter Biden. You're my only source for Hunter Biden news because I'm just not interested in Hunter Biden. I'm just not because the guy's an addict and you can't believe a word he says. But the world is interested in Hunter Biden. So where are we?
3: Well, right now, the House is moving forward on the process to start a contempt of Congress vote for Hunter Biden, which is going to put the Justice Department in a pretty awkward position because it aggressively prosecuted contempt of Congress charges against uh, Trump associates who were held in contempt of Congress for flouting January 6th congressional subpoenas. So, you know, now there will be this sort of double standard argument that you're hearing being made uh, all across the board in connection to Hunter Biden and the House is voted this week to formalize the impeachment inquiry, which takes away uh, the main argument that the White House and the Biden administration have used to not cooperate with the congressional investigation. They kept saying, well, it's not a formal impeachment inquiry, so you don't actually have these extra powers. We don't have to comply with these subpoenas. Well, that's really been their only argument about not complying, and that's been neutralized by this vote. Now,
2: I, I believe that Steve Bannon and Peter Navarro were both prosecuted on contempt of Congress charges. Am I right about that?
3: Yes, that's right. I mean, Steve Bannon is fighting right now to stay out of jail to, yeah. with his conviction. So, if you if
2: you blow off the the Congress and they send you a subpoena and you blow it off, the predicate from this Department of Justice, this administration, is that you will be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. Correct.
3: Uh, that's right. And so that's why the Justice Department is in a weird position. Now, I think Hunter Biden's lawyer pulled a sort of smart move here by offering Hunter Biden to testify publicly, which you know I don't think was ever actually a genuine offer. But by doing so, the Justice Department might be able to say, well, it's not really an apples to apples comparison with Steve Bannon because Hunter Biden offered to testify publicly. but. The reality is he defied a congressional subpoena, and did not appear for a deposition. So it is it is an apples to apples. It, it,
2: it's one rule of law. And I, I want the same rule applied to everybody, whether it's uh, former President Trump or President Biden and their documents in the garage or Mar-a-Lago, respectively, or if it's Hunter Biden and Peter Navarro. It should be one rule. But I I just don't think this Department of Justice can course correct in time. Uh, any indication that from them, from the Department of Justice, that they're taking the Hunter Biden contempt of Congress seriously?
3: Not yet. They haven't really had to. And, and you know, I think that a, a lot of Democrats and defenders of the Biden DOJ will say, oh, look, he's facing these tax charges in California five years after the fact. But nonetheless, he's facing these tax charges, the gun charges. It hasn't enough been done. The DOJ has has gone after him. It's not a double standard. But uh, if the if the DOJ fails to take up that contempt of Congress referral, that will be a blatant double standard.
2: Okay, quick question, Sarah. I think the odds of Hunter Biden getting a pardon are 100%. Uh, 100% after the election, no matter how it turns out. What do you think?
3: I think that's... Uh, Pretty good prediction, especially because these are they basically have him dead to rights. If you read that indictment, it's not something that he's going to be able to effectively defend against in court. And, you know, he's a dad. He's going to want to keep his son out of jail. Yep.
2: And and by the way, uh, no one has asked the president yet if he'll rule that out. No one in the White House press corps has asked Corinne Jean-Pierre or the president, will you rule out pardoning your son? I don't know why, they just haven't. If Sarah Bedford gets close to the president, I'm sure she will. Sarah, Merry Christmas. Thank you for joining me. I'm going to be right back, America.
4: It's a marshmallow world in the winter When the snow comes to cover the ground
2: Welcome back, America. John Boehner singing Christmas carols. I'm so glad to have Sonny Bench with me. He is, of course, the host of uh, Across the Movie Aisle podcast and the bulwark goes to the movies. Sonny Bunch, good morning. How are you?
5: I'm good, Hugh. How are you?
2: Good. I want to begin with 12 Chairs because I did a little investigative journalism this week and discovered that the commentary podcast is using a song from uh, 12 Chairs and Dwayne tells me it's a Mel Brooks movie of which I've never heard. Have you heard of it?
5: No, I I had not either. Uh, We were just discussing this right right now before the show. Uh, I have not I've not seen it. I had not even heard of it. I, I, I am not familiar with it.
2: This is their opening song. Hope for the best, expect, the, best, expect the worst. And so I, I've got it. It's a 1970 movie. It's not available anywhere. So instead, I watch Better Call Saul. Because the Fetching Mrs. Hewitt was gone yesterday, so I was binge-watching. And, Sonny, you watch Better Call Saul, right? I've never seen it, but you watch it with Bob Odenkirk?
5: Yeah, it's uh, so Better Call Saul is the uh, kind of prequel show for Breaking Bad—it's the story of Saul Goodman uh, and how he became Saul Goodman. He was, you know, he had a he had a real name before before Saul Goodman, and now and and this was uh, the the uh, prequel series. Uh, But is it on Netflix now? Is that why you're?
2: Yeah, it is available on Netflix, and I've never watched it. It's got six seasons, so it's a lot of of good stuff. But I have a question for you, Sonny. Do the backdrop in Better Call Saul? do most people who are not lawyers assume all lawyers are sort of like Saul and the lawyers in Better Call Saul? Or do they assume that there are a few really genius, bad, bad good lawyers out there? I mean, what Do they really think that's what lawyers do?
5: Well, I mean, I, look, it's, it's a TV show. I think people, most people understand it's a TV show. Uh, you know, I think most people think of lawyers, when they think of lawyers, they really think of, like, law and order, right? They think of uh, prosecutors and and defense attorneys, you know, hammering out deals and that sort of thing. Um, but Okay, so
2: that leads me to that. Do they think that Breaking Bad happens? And do they think the Ozarks is really going on? Because most of the big super hits um, communicate about a reality in the world that, you know, I just don't assume it's real, but it turns out after Ten Seven, the the worst thing you can imagine is actually real. So what do you think? Is the backdrop what we think is actually going on out there?
5: Well, I, I mean, I think uh, the reason that shows like Ozark and Breaking Bad, for instance, and Better Call Saul to a certain extent, um, hit is because they are shows about regular people who are forced into extra dramatic circumstances, um, right? So, you know, Breaking Bad is about this normal guy who is hit with a with a with a thing that happens to lots of families, right? Huge medical bill, huge huge medical expense. Doesn't know how he's gonna. Cover it, uh, so he winds up, uh, you know, uh, taking taking the shortcut and making a lot of money via drugs. I mean, that's uh, Ozarks is kind of the same thing. I mean, not not about cancer and and uh, you know uh, Albuquerque meth dealing and all that, but it's it's a similar you know normal guy in a weird situation uh, mm-hmm. finds himself getting deeper and deeper into a, a life of crime. Um, but you, I, I think that's that's kind of uh, that is that is what a lot of you know the, the real golden age of TV shows were were all centered around right. I mean, you could make the argument that Mad Men is that to a certain extent. You know, the, that whole show is figuring out how Don Draper became Don Draper, and how did Don Draper become Don Draper? Well, you know, he was in the Korean War, and you know, kind of faked his own death and took over somebody else's life, and uh, through a series of escalating you know lies and, and mistruths. Uh, well, I guess I'm never going to watch, watch Mad Men now. Uh, you, you've never seen – well, no. all right, so first off, Hugh, <laughs> that movie, that show is 15 years old. So, you know, you, 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 the Statue of Limitations expired on the first season of Mad Men. Uh, well, but, let me pause for a
2: second. that doesn't matter. What matters is this, is that Mad Men was set 50 years ago. The other three, Ozarks, Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, is today. And they, they depict an America in which they're really evil people really evil people hiding in plain sight everywhere. And the reason I'm connecting this up with ten seven is we always sort of knew there were really evil people since 9-11, and yesterday in Europe, they rounded up a bunch of Hamas terrorists who are going to blow up a bunch of Jewish sites in in Europe. So we know that, but I I don't know that we actually grasp how many evil people are out there. Uh, It's not a TV show. That's what I'm getting at. Do Do you think we've fallen into the trap that, oh, it's on TV, it can't be real?
5: I mean, well, uh, I, I think uh, uh, this this gets into a, a, uh, an issue of um, how I this it, it's a tricky question to answer here because I, I think you're 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 we're dealing with a question of uh, interesting stories versus their prevalence in the real world. Yes, right? exactly. And how many how many how many of these things like? I don't think there are that many stories like Breaking Bad or Ozarks that are real. I think most of the people around us are as they appear, um, you know, more or less. Uh, so I, I don't think I don't. But they, 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 these stories certainly, uh, I mean, I don't want to even say certainly, but they, you know, they're probably.
2: But exa- you like have that. exactly my reaction, which is the primary characters are fictional and they're unlikely to be in our lives. But the backdrop of Ozarks and money laundering, of drugs and Breaking Bad, of, cry, uh, 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 of slip and fall lawyers, slip and Jimmy lawyers in,
5: in Better Calls Saul, the backdrop is real. And- sure, sure. It, and the reason, I mean, look, again, the reason these <laughs> shows are hit are because they do resemble our our life and our reality, right? Like, this is, again, this is why law and order is it. Law and order is it because it's not a fantastical you know, ridiculous uh, story. Law and Order SCU, you know, constantly has ripped from the headlines. you know, stories of, you know, sexual assault and all that sort of thing. Um, and uh, that that show that show does not again, it's it's not a reality we all deal with on a regular basis, but it is a recognizable reality that we all uh, understand that we could fall into or. Um, become kind of tangentially involved with. And I think that is, again, I think that is at least part of the appeal of so many of these shows.
2: Now, I want to connect it up with taking the wrong lessons from TV shows. Fauda is a huge international hit. Fauda is a fabulous hit. Uh, It made me assume that the Israelis could never be surprised. And I, I believe that 1973, as we just talked about the Helen Mirren movie, Golda, they had the same assumption they could never be surprised. They have been surprised twice in 50 years, which isn't bad, but it's terrible if you're the Jewish state. Do you think the FAUDA effect, and that's that's a term I just made up, the FAUDA effect is to put people on their guard, uh, off their guard about evil?
5: Now, well, I mean, look, uh, the, the Israeli <laughs> political situation is so weird and delicate that it's I wouldn't, I would hesitate to blame it on anything uh, as simple as a TV show lulling people into a false sense of security. I mean, I, you know, there, there are stories out now that, you know, the, there were, well, it's kind of like nine 11, right? Like nine 11 is a, is a thing that happens. And in theory, all of the information was there. We, we had it all. We could have figured out it. We could have put it together if we had, you know, uh, traced exactly the warnings and looked at exactly the right people who had been kind of warned of, who were in the system in certain regards, and then we didn't. We, we weren't able to uh, connect the dots because there is a huge amount of information coming in, right? Um, in, in Israel, uh, at least my understanding this is what I've been reading and what I've been what I've been seeing is that you know there there, there are so many distracting fights about internal domestic politics that they had kind of taken the eye off the prize. Uh, so to speak, uh, with regard to, to foreign terrorists. You know, that,
2: that narrative has developed in Israeli media. I'm going to talk with Haviv Gur on, on Monday about that, because I, I don't think that's actually what happened. Uh, I don't think the last three years of political trouble hit Hamas, but maybe 20 years of the idea that Hamas is an alternative to the two-state solution. But what I'm driving at, Sonny, is, is, is media taking us further away from reality or closer to it? With these shows and with these assumptions,
5: <clears throat> you're you're uh, stunned. Uh, yeah, I, I I just I don't. It's not. It's not a thing I think about. I mean, look I, what's the most what's the most popular what has been the most popular genre in film for the last 15 years? Superheroes. Right? It's the comic book movie, which is inherently unrealistic. Um, it is a that is a that is a pure fantasy, a pure power fantasy. Uh, genre that bears no resembl- resemblance yeah, We whatsoever. don't
2: expect Thanos like. To come in and double tap half of us
5: Right so I'm I, Like I am I, I would be skeptical to say you know Our fictional televisual And film medium uh, re- Reflects our reality More in recent years than in past I mean I, I feel like But this has always been the case right So what what was the what was the big genre in the 1970s uh, In the early 1980s right It was the the paranoid political thriller right you know uh the the reaction to watergate and all that was not um was not really a series of like movies about low-level uh political nah, house doing no, problems in the white no, house it no. was it was
2: three days in a condor yeah
5: right it was massive conspiracies about you know the government organizing organizing assassination and that sort of thing and like oh, okay i mean i'm sure that has happened in, in the past, but I do not think it is a... Yeah, but uh, Sunny, I want you to put your big brain
2: to work on this because we absorb a lot of binge-watching now. The Crown and everything I've mentioned, everything you've mentioned, there's lots I don't even watch. Like, I haven't watched Mad Men. American, and the world absorb an enormous amount of media that they never absorbed 30, 40 years ago. And is it changing the way that they relate to the world? And I think the answer has to be yes. And it might be that we really think... Not that there are superheroes out there, but the, that there are forces for good that will keep the evil guys at bay.
5: Yeah, well, I mean, this is again, this is the interesting reaction to uh, the the superhero boom boomlet is often kind of referred to as a reaction to nine eleven. This desire to have some sort of all powerful oh, uh, force out there able to save us and right wrongs and and you know working working functionally outside the parameters of the law um which again this is you know you could make the argument about the american response to 9-11 and you know what what was legal and what wasn't and blah 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 but like i i the, uh, i guess i guess all of that is more wish fulfillment than reality reflection though, right that is not Correct. I, I, I don't think that's i don't think it's necessarily or, or how people see reality i do think it is uh, I do think there is some some arguments made that is it is how people wish reality worked, uh, but I don't think that applies to something like Breaking Bad or Ozark, right? I think that again, I think that you know that that's another kind of power fulfillment fantasy, right? This idea. Well, it is, that,
2: but but it, when you add Fauda
5: and Ozark
2: and Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad together, you get a world that isn't actually out there, except the villains are out there, but the the people that can right the wrongs are not out there, at least in the number that we think they are. Uh, I want to uh, tell you, go to Sunny Bunch, uh, across the movie aisle podcast, or the Bulwark goes to the movie podcast, follow them on...
0: Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency. Knew all the government's...